0: As we talk about Psalm 121, I want to show you something here that many of you will recognize and, and some of you may note as a historical artifact. This is a cassette tape. I used to, on cassette tapes, take my favorite songs, compile them to one cassette tape, and call them my mixtapes. Maybe you had a special mixtape that had all your favorite songs on it maybe you made a mixtape for someone else that was a real way to show friendship or deep relationship with somebody way back when was to create a mixtape for them today it's a lot easier maybe more complicated for some of you but we call it a playlist we have a special group of songs maybe from different artists that we might use for a special occasion maybe you have your playlist for studying Maybe you have your playlist for working out. Israel's songs, 120 through 134, was their playlist, so to speak, specifically for the time in which they would walk and travel uphill together to Jerusalem. As they would attend festivals, you can just think about the sound that must have sweetly come from the trail that led from Jericho up to Jerusalem. 17 miles, 3,000 feet of elevation climbing. We began in Psalm 120 in the right place with repentance. Psalm 121, a psalm of providence. Let's hear it. I encourage you to write it down if you can. I encourage you to say it out loud if possible. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? It's a question. At different points in the history of Israel, the hills of Judea would have been dotted with structures, altars, poles that held significance to the nations and the religions that surrounded Israel. You might have read about these as the high places. The hills would have been places during different points of Israel's history where many Israelites went off to worship the gods of the nations around them rather than trusting and worshiping the God who dwelt on Mount Zion. When the author says, I look to the hills, where's my help come from? He answers it. He answers his question by saying, my help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. In other words, the reminder is that our help is not from the hills. It's not from the idols that we might trust in. It's not from the stuff that might pull us away from the Lord. Read in Jeremiah chapter 3 what Jeremiah had to say about the help that came from the hills. He says in Jeremiah 3, verse 21, a cry is heard on the barren heights, or the hills, the weeping and pleading of the people, because they have perverted their ways and have forgotten the Lord their God. Return, faithless people, I will cure you of backsliding. Yes, we will come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Surely the Idolatrous commotion on the hills and mountains is a deception. Surely in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. I think the words there, idolatrous commotion, speak to how Jeremiah and God viewed what was going on in the hills around Jerusalem during. Times where God's people decided to leave their maker and their creator. We might look around us and think, well, no hills dotted with idol worship around us. But if we think realistically in our own life, we might have our own hills. We might have our own things that we give our trust to. Stuff that we place our allegiance in that we hope to give us some benefit, some peace other than the Lord? What does that idolatry look like for you? What does it look like for me? What are things that we put our trust in other than the Lord? It can be sometimes things that in and of themselves may not be sinful, it may be things that in and of themselves are sinful, whatever that addiction looks like, whatever that brief escape looks like, it's replacing the one who made us, and so if we're looking for our help from the hills, if we're looking just to distract ourselves from trouble or just escape for a moment or get swept away in something that will promise us just a moment of pleasure, we're taking our eyes off the one who's created us and the one who knows what is best for us. So the psalmist says, the maker of heaven and earth, he's the one that we need to put our trust in. He's the one who will provide. That's why this is a psalm of providence. This psalm is not saying that no bad will ever befall those who follow the maker of heaven and earth. This psalm isn't saying that we'll never suffer. What it is saying is that our Lord will provide and he will protect and he will walk with. So that when there is trial, when there is temptation... He will provide the way of escape. He will guide us through difficult times. We can choose to grow with Him through those difficult times. We can choose to continue to move in a forward direction. So the Psalm shares with us ways that the Lord protects us. Some of them are quite unique. He encourages us. He says in verse five, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. We can perhaps easily think of how the sun can harm us through heat stroke or sunburn, and how the Lord provides shade. He's something or someone that we can rest under when we feel like the cares of the life, of this life, are consuming us. We might wonder how the moon can harm us. You know, our english word lunatic comes from the latin word luna which means moon people who stayed out all night were thought to have been made crazy by the moon and so he's protecting us from whatever the day might throw at us he's also protecting us from whatever the night might throw at us the psalmist in poetic fashion is saying He takes care of us at every moment, and that's the providence of God. The providence of God does not mean that we will never face trial or temptation. In fact, we understand that Jesus, Son of God, Himself faced trial. He faced temptation, but He had one who walked with Him through the storm. And we have one who walks through the storm with us. I won't let your foot slip, he says. Think about that as we're walking uphill. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Maybe that sounds as the psalm ends like nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. Relatively speaking, nothing in this world can harm us. That's why Paul could say in Romans chapter 8, of all the things that he had been through, shipwreck, hunger, persecution, nothing could separate him from the love of Christ. Because in comparison with what the Father offers us through Jesus Christ, an eternal home with Him, salvation. Nothing in this world can harm us. That's the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ. So the providence of God is a sure and steadfast thing that we can put our hope in. Times where we have stuff taken from us, relationships that are broken, perhaps. Time where we have to spend without others who are important in our life it's a stripping away of sorts and it's an opportunity to just thank God for his providence and the fact that he cares for us that he holds our salvation in his hand what a blessed promise that is as we think about the hills that surrounded Jerusalem that might have been scattered with altars to Baal and other gods of the nations around Israel. We know that throughout Israel's history, he showed his strength and superiority to those other gods. The story I'd like to leave you with today is found in 1 Kings 18. It's a famous story. If you haven't read it before, I'd encourage you to read it in its entirety But it has direct application to this story, or to this psalm, Psalm 121. Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to meet him on Mount Carmel, where really everybody could see what was going to take place. He challenged Baal's prophets, some of their best, to call down fire from heaven and burn the sacrifice that they'd presented before him. Of course, they scream and weep and wail and perform every incantation possible to try and bring down fire from heaven to consume their sacrifice. Elijah, in a sort of spiritual trash talk, says to them, Why don't you cry a little bit louder? Maybe he's asleep. Perhaps he's gone away on a trip. Of course, What Elijah is doing is demonstrating that their God was a concoction of their own mind. They had created their God in their own image. Our God isn't like that. That's why Psalm 121 says, He doesn't sleep, He doesn't slumber. Perhaps as the Israelites sang this, walking together towards Jerusalem... They could remember back to the time where Elijah called down fire from heaven. And their God, who didn't sleep and didn't slumber, consumed the sacrifice and demonstrated to all of Israel that their God was alive. Their God was the maker of heaven and earth. Now that we've started the journey with repentance, it's good to remember that our Lord provides. It's good to remember that that doesn't guarantee freedom from suffering on our journey. It doesn't mean that there will be no trial ahead. It does mean though the God who made it all is still in control. He's walking with us. He's protecting us from evil. He holds salvation in His hands. He's blessed us through His Son, Jesus Christ. What a joy it is to walk on that journey together with Him. Psalm 121, Providence. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 121.